0: Welcome to A Cup and a Conversation. I'm Grant Angst, Community and Economic Development Director for the City of Brunswick. Today I have Renee Lagon from Team Neo. Renee is Director of Partnerships and Engagement. That's a big title, Renee.
1: Yeah, they just put a senior in front of it the other day.
0: A senior? <laughs> I'm big time. You're right? big time? Really? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that. So, we're going, to, we're going to talk today about Team Neo. We, we, had, uh, we had one of your colleagues on just the other day, yes. Steve Fritch, yes. and um, he spoke incredibly highly of you, Aww. just so you know, and um, uh, what's, not to, what's not to speak highly That's right.
1: of? That's oh, Do you know who you have sitting here today?
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but Director of Partnerships and Engagement, Senior Director now of Partnerships and Engagements, what does that mean? What do, what do you do
1: yeah it's a really cool job grant I'm gonna tell you um, you know I cover an 18 county footprint so it gives me the opportunity to really get out and connect with people and many different levels many different degrees and and when I mean degrees you just you just never know who you're going to meet in a given day. <laughs> Uh, And my role is to engage with our entire 18-county stakeholder group from our federal, state, local elected officials, economic development professionals, infrastructure folks who might do utility work, those who might support the economic development system, from philanthropy to workforce to healthcare. I'm engaging with everyone in some capacity to advance the work that we do at Team Neo. And that is to ensure we're producing equitable outcomes for our communities, building fiber communities, creating jobs so that all have equitable access to opportunity and wealth creation strategies. Uh, So I'm kind of like the the person that meets everyone, kind of has the opportunity to know everyone and connect the dots wherever they're missing.
0: That is awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a really cool job.
0: That, that is, because yeah. you, you get out and about all the time. All the time. And, and you're knocking on doors, or they're knocking on your door to Correct. come visit. Correct.
1: Correct. Correct. So I get to learn, you know, uh, what many different industries, many different organizations. I get to hear different economic development strategies, how people think about their communities. And then I try to find a way where we plug in as a strategic partner to help them advance that. And if it's not us, who is it? Because I'm that engager looking at the entire region, touching all of these different areas and meeting all these different folks. I have intel over here or over there, whether it be education or philanthropy or workforce or uh, political engagement. I can help connect those dots and align us together as one. Wow. That it's is- knitting. It's knitting a fabric.
0: That's really a great way to put it. Knitting a fabric, yeah. putting it together. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, so you think of yourself as a loomer.
1: Oh, a loomer. I love that word. Yeah.
0: Okay. Loomer. I'm going to so, use that. But, but how did you get here yeah. doing this phenomenal yeah. area work, which, which really does sound exciting and definitely not boring no. and not no. stale?
1: No, never a boring day for sure.
0: But but I did read a little bit about you that that at one point in time you were down in Florida. I
1: was. And
0: you went to graduate school down there. I did. To this place called Nova.
1: Nova Southeastern University.
0: Yes, the Sharks.
1: Yes. You were a shark. I was a shark. I went from being a hilltopper to uh, uh, what's the John Carroll uh, streaks blue streak.
0: Blue. Yep.
1: Now I, I went to being a shark.
0: A shark. <laughs> Sharks are quite popular these days. Yes, they are. Especially in economic development. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes. But then you went from there into into banking. Yeah. And you were there
1: for quite some time. Yeah, I actually, um, Grant, I started my career in financial services, and it was an interesting kind of curveball for me. wasn't where I envisioned myself at all in my life. Um, and Because uh, you grew up here in Northeast Ohio, I did, right? I did. Yeah. I did. I grew up in Geauga County, and... Uh, I uh, always had a dream of, of being a doctor, being pre-med, and uh, started my schooling in, in that realm. And I found very quickly I did not like the smell of ethanol. I did not like the smell of blood. <laughs> I was sickened by it, and I'm i thinking, thinking, why am I doing this again? Uh, and But that's uh, a good thing to realize quickly. Oh, for sure. Uh, but I, I will never forget the day when I told my family... I'm not doing that. And um, I had the gift of gab and the ability to sell that I didn't know. I learned that in banking or in college, doing a you remember the old MBNA America Bank? Oh, I sure do. I worked for them while I was in college, oh, and I did. learned i I could sell credit cards like no one else's business. Didn't know I could do that. And uh, it kind of launched my banking career. Uh, and going into that, it just progressed from one thing to the other. One opportunity just kept knocking after the other. You know, I firmly believe that when uh, you're on the right path, your journey's going to find you. You'll find your journey if you're on the right path. And uh, it just kept leading from one door to the other. To so eventually, um, I ended up being uh, when Metropolitan Bank and Trust was around. Okay. I was their very first management trainee. They were launching oh, wow. a program. And that actually started out of an internship from John Carroll, from a professor in my public relations class who connected me to someone. And uh, So you I,
0: saw networking firsthand right then. A
1: hundred percent. I learned to use my network. My first job, though, was at Case Western Reserve University as a researcher between high school and college because I wanted to be a pre- pre-med, as I stated. Right. And um, the National Institute of Health was looking for a scholar and they asked me to come and do research at Case Western Reserve. Wow, what and, an honor. But that's where I figured out I was not gonna do this <laughs> job <laughs> be, a, be a, a doctor, right? You weren't gonna cut the frog open and, no, and yeah, that got was it. not me. But I used those networks all along the way. But my family taught me that, right? Because sure. they obviously helped to seed some of that. Uh, but I've always leveraged networks, and this job now is all about leveraging a network. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you learn to be a master network, and you find that you've got a natural skill set that was being groomed mm-hmm. from the very beginning, because, you know, you, you go where your journey is leading you, and that's, that's where true. it led me.
0: But, but having that banking background... Is so critical yes. when dealing with businesses or even nonprofits because most businesses, a lot of people don't realize that. So, let's say we take a look at a typical CNC operation, yeah, and which we have quite a few of here in Brunswick, and yes. we have in throughout Northeast Ohio. We have a lot of skilled workers in that field, and the business owner decides to start this in their garage, yes, and it continues to grow, yes you'd be amazed how many small businesses don't realize that there are business bankers, retail bankers, commercial bankers. There are different types of bankers that focus on different things to help that individual grow, whatever that is. If you're a retail banker, you're trying to help the the residential homeowner grow in their equity of their home. If you're a business banker and you're focused on the industrial side of things, you're trying to help that, that business owner understand how to have a supply and demand issue, how to deal with vendors, how to spend money, how to save money, how to re- rewire for lighting. I mean, it's, Correct. it's It's all these things and more. What a background to have for what you're doing.
1: Yes, yeah, so, you know, I, I'm very thankful for the background. Um, I leverage it. I use it in my personal life, my family, uh, working with others who know of my background in banking as I eventually progressed and ended up being vice president of government and nonprofit finance in Morgan Chase, but in between that time, uh, I did commercial finance for for-profit organizations, much of what you are uh, describing here, and seeing that full life cycle from starting in the retail all the way up to working in the commercial side of the bank. Uh, you see the full from startup to emergent to growth to, ma- to the maturation of businesses and being able to um, guide companies mm-hmm. to a successful path. I always encourage folks: you need a banker, you need an insurance person, and you need a lawyer. That's right. <laughs> Those are the three that you absolutely have to have uh, in your toolbox as you are developing and growing businesses. And even from a personal perspective, you That's know, right. nowadays we see so much happening uh, with uh, fraud and scams, and you know. Uh, Having a banker, or someone with that background in your toolbox, they can really guide you when you hear something that doesn't sound right or that's fishy, that sounds like it's legitimate, but it's really not. Right. Because of, we've been trained a certain way inside of the bank. When I uh, speak with my family members and friends, I'm like, no, nah, that's a scam. I know the sound of that. It looks legit, but that is a true scam.
0: And they're getting very sophisticated.
1: Very sophisticated, but having someone with that background can help you clearly identify it where you know before you make a move and it
0: gives you a discipline for a logical process Uh, bankers accountants cpa they they all like to have their processes they do that's right and that helps with with doing your work as the senior director of partnerships and engagement for team neo now with that said you you leave florida You matriculate back up to Northeast Ohio home. Yeah. And at one point you were the regional director for the Minority Business Assistance Center at the urban greater of Greater Cleveland.
1: The Urban League, yeah. The Urban League. Of Greater Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was a, a role that and I'm gonna tell you, Grant Uh, Working in banking, I had gotten to a point where I said, you know, banking had changed through the time, over time that I had been there. I think I was in the the banking world for about 20 years at that point. And I had seen uh, in the very beginning of banking where branch managers were meant to be out in the field doing commercial business. That move to branches becoming retail stores and branch managers being responsible for the operations, the internal operations, I, I sales was my thing. So, right. you know, switching me from a sales role to now an operations role really wasn't my suite. So I, I that's how I ended up on the commercial track, and. Um, you know, going through that time and then coming out to where banking is today, uh, with the Frank, the, the Dodd-Frank Act, and the changes when we had the bubble burst back in, I think it was a 2017-2018 timeframe. Banking really began to change. Uh, we were no longer uh, about the relationship <laughs> of it. Right. It, it was about you've got to get those widgets in there, sell right. those products because. Um, you know, we've got to be profitable, we've got to make the dollars. Uh, so the the, the the scope of it began to change and then more of the responsibility um, to carry the customer service as well as the sales and everything all rested on one individual. So you're you're balancing a portfolio of clients while also trying to grow a business uh, and consult with businesses but also lead the successful experience of your client within the institution. Frank Dot changed a lot of how we had to navigate. And um, I then had to make a choice. You know, what does the future look like for my role, knowing I now have 20 years, of financial services in my my coffer here where do I take this where it becomes advantageous to the communities that need this level of intelligence this right. knowledge that has been given to me right. so once again your path the path and your journey I want to stay on the path but what does the journey look like and uh, the opportunity at the Urban League of Greater Cleveland uh, was uh, available it, it just the timing was right Uh, It is a program of the um, Ohio Department of Development, Minority Services Division, uh, that we had, I think, our seven agencies across the state of Ohio. Um, I think it's seven. It might be a few more or less, Uh, but my my brain is a little foggy now after a few years. But I I had um, eight counties that I covered. I had a team of um, folks who had uh, a foundational level of understanding of finance on my team. Okay. And we worked with disabled businesses, those who had businesses who may have been disabled, who were female or people of color or um, and, I, and veterans. Uh, and the goal was to take those companies. They were not startups. These are the ones who were emerging, out of the startup phase, going into growth and maturation, how do we manage that growth to maturation? Connect them with supplier diversity contract opportunities. Okay. So that they grow across the state of Ohio. Right. And uh, sounds we, like
0: sounds like economic development to me.
1: It was economic, and it is economic development. There's right. so many lanes to drive in uh, in that area. Uh, But what it gave me was a very deep um, Rolodex of organizations doing this work together to connect together to drive success in that realm of economic development, working with businesses to scale them and connect them to contract opportunities, whether it be the guy who bought a piece of equipment and he's... Turning out nuggets in his garage, and now we've linked him to a contract with NASA or whomever, and now he's right. you know going gangbuster because all, all, all gangbusters because he bought a piece of equipment that is turning profits for him hand over fist. But that was our goal: to recognize those opportunities and connect the entire ecosystem uh, so that they felt they had resources available to them. Still a lot of opportunity there. though.
0: Right. And you, but you were also empowering that person or persons.
1: Correct. Correct. You
0: were getting them to see, Hey, there, there is this opportunity. There is this benefit. There's this through hard work and buying the right piece of equipment and connecting the right person. And then hopefully landing a, a, a nice little contract to start out and one thing leads to another, and things start falling into place.
1: Well, it's that access to capital piece, too, also, and being able to, um, you know, advise your clients very much like in banking. It, it was right. taking that skill set, everything I had learned in my twenty years, and now applying it directly to the community. Whereas they may have trouble getting access to capital from a financial institution, I have a very deep lens as to why that might be an issue. Right because I was on the inside. I was sitting at the table when policies were being formed. I saw when Frank Dot came in and why policies changed. I saw clients come in and get denied, and I knew why they were denied. Uh, so being able to help navigate that from an inside person's view right. was very valuable to the community.
0: And helping educate that community so that they can reformulate what they're doing to move forward to Correct. get that cash available.
1: Correct, I answered their why. Yes. I, I, I provided the why, you know, is when you're trying to grow a business, you might have many reasons that or questions why things aren't moving. Because of the experience I had, I was able to give a why that would come from a very trusting place, right? Right. Um, and in many cases, uh, you know, there aren't many minority bankers. There aren't many bankers of color. Right. Uh, and so, being able to be in a place where I was a person of color, a woman of color, in a place where there weren't many of us at all, and then take that knowledge and put it into a place where communities can trust and see someone who looks like them and can reflect their concerns, sure, and give an answer that uh, can can get them on the place to success. It, it was very rewarding. Very rewarding.
0: And then at some point you made the decision to jump to Team Neo.
1: I did, I did. You know, that's an interesting story. Uh, that's another opportunity that I didn't go searching for. It just, the, the journey selected me. And uh, I met Steve one day and uh, S- Steve is, is I, I've had two great bosses in my life. Steve is one of them. He, and he would, he would shame me for using the word boss. Uh, my, my niece calls him my superior co <laughs> <laughs>
0: Superior co-worker. He's
1: my superior co-worker. But um, I, he is a leader, and he has helped to lead me um, in uh, a new area of my life uh, that... Um, helped to coach me in a different uh, and, and to another level that you know everyone serves a purpose and you have to know what their purpose is sure and um, I'm fully aware I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I've been able to recognize the purpose of the folks who've been placed in my life Bill Kaylor's is the same way uh, I learn a lot from his leadership uh, as well he's He's a a, a very strong leader and a very empathetic leader Mm -hmm. um, and and embraces uh, the people that he's leading. And uh, I've learned a lot about folks who there aren't many people who lead with their heart um, because you still have to make the tough decisions. You do. Uh, but, um, the leaders at Team Needle, Team Neo, they lead, they're empathetic. They, they lead with their heart, but still make the tough decisions. They care about people and, uh, working in banking, Grant, uh, they don't. Yeah. No, No, it's, it's, It's what did you do for me right right now? And if you haven't, you're out, Right. Right. (laughs) right? Right. It's a different kind of leadership.
0: And now you get to travel around these 18 counties, engaging with people in different businesses. And one of the businesses that has been a a, a big uh, driver as of late, even though we've been, the state of Ohio has been in this business forever, is aerospace. Yeah. We've got NASA. We've got yeah. a lot of manufacturers that manufacture pieces, parts for space programs yes. and for the uh, the typical airline industry. and, yeah. and uh, you know Boeing. We have lots of manufacturers doing work on on part pieces, parts for Boeing airplanes that we fly in every day.
1: We do.
0: Yeah, everything from brake systems to heat shields to um, all kinds of engine components.
1: Well, and you know what, folks don't realize the power. Of our 18 county region, when you're 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 really talking about that, right? That's right. What we manufacture here and what we produce here, it matters. It does. And when I'm out speaking uh, to various folks across our network, you know, we are 40 percent of Ohio's economy right here. Right. In our 18 counties, we are producing 40 percent. That that is a massive number, and it's because we're doing things like that. You know, from hamburger buns to cheese to airplane right, parts. Right. I mean, we, we are putting out serious products that matter, which is why onshoring and making sure we control the supply and demand right here and have a healthy mix of that is so critical.
0: Very critical.
1: Yeah, because we matter. That's right. right. We don't want to become stale and get comfortable with just 40 percent, a diverse mix. Is what you need in order to That's be right. a healthy, vibrant economy. But you want it to be accessible to all, right? Not just the the, the few or those who have education or those who um, are might be going through great workforce programs. How do we make sure it's equitable and con- and scalable across all communities, right? Not just some, because we've got a great industry here. We do, and 40 percent, and and then we're the 15th largest across the the United States. We are a major footprint here. We are. And folks don't know the power of Northeast Ohio. Just in 18 counties alone, we matter. So you take away the 40%. What do you have, right? So that that is uh, something that is uh, of noteworthy. Yes,
0: for sure. Something that all Northeast Ohioans should be proud of. Yes. Because it's not, it's really not, it's also something that's not taught. I mean, it's not... Kids as they come up through the grades, you know, you start kindergarten and work your way up through twelfth grade. Yeah. Some very much know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They they have that path early on. They they want to go into science, they want to go into math, they wanna be a teacher, they wanna be a doctor. Not a lot to understand I want to be an economic developer.
1: <laughs> yeah, what is that? What
0: does that mean? <laughs> and and how does that help? And also right. We don't necessarily teach how to network.
1: No, we don't.
0: It becomes a natural for some people. It does. But it's it's also difficult to explain to kids when they're already networking, but they also need to learn how to network face-to-face as opposed to just a phone.
1: Very different.
0: If they could stay off the phone and stay focused on shaking somebody's hands, looking at them in the eye, telling them I'll follow up, tell them that I will get that done. Go get a job, even if it's a job uh, picking up branches in the neighbor's next next uh, next door yard, things of that nature to develop that responsibility, so that they want to then move those skills into something that's producible in the area in which they live and reside. hundred percent. Because when they produce something, that production adds not only to the economy with the multiplier effect, but now you're talking about having others join in in that production to make items that get bought, sold, shared, used, distributed, go out into outer space all the time, nonstop.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. My dad uses the term, we talk about this uh, all the time, as we look at generations, um, coming up and you, you look at the change from the typewriter to the word processor to the computer and what that means for students in college. They don't know what it means to have to stand in line to use a computer <laughs> they don't. and nope. make sure you had enough dimes to get enough copies when you got ready to print or when your paper printed you had to pull the, the, the tabs off the side of the paper because it was computer <laughs> paper. It wasn't That's like right. regular copy paper. That's
0: right. You know, dot all, matrix.
1: Yeah it was the dot matrix right they, they they don't know what that's like you know you go into a computer you load a card go a library you load up a card and print and you call mom and dad can you download some money for me <laughs> you know back in my day it was do I have enough dimes? I'm counting dimes out <laughs> of my dorm room to make sure I have enough to get copies on microfiche, right? That's hey, right. What's a microfiche? But my back to that, my dad and I, we always say, he goes, the microwave was the worst thing we ever invented. Because now we've got a generation of everything's in the microwave. Everything is instant, quick. We don't work for it. We want it right now. And the difference, to your point, Grant, is when it comes out the microwave, it does not taste the same when you bake it in that oven. That's the true. Story. That's mean, true. The quality just isn't there.
0: Baked macaroni and cheese with bread crumbs on top, <laughs> get that nice crispness. Yeah. I mean, it takes time.
1: It does. You, you don't want a little hot water, just throw it in the microwave and. and it is and
0: not the same. Put
1: a little cheese sauce on it and say, mm. is,
0: but is that really cheese sauce they're putting? Yeah. On it? <laughs> It's some kind of powdery thing. Some sort thing. of
1: imitations of it, right? That's right. right. That's what right. about chopping that cheese and everything else? Anyway, so So, now what we're are talking th- about cheese. <laughs>
0: But, but we have cheese producers in Northeast Ohio. We do. And we have a lot of food producers. We have a very specialized food producer here in Brunswick as well. Yes. Uh, and we have companies that make parts for NASA and parts for the, the uh, very high-tech medical industry. And so yes. it happens all over, and people don't know where it happens or why it happens. Because so many people, we get busy with our own little world, and we don't necessarily look outside of that.
1: There's a lot going on in that realm, Grant, even just from a Team team Neo lens. When we do our business retention and expansion outreach efforts, we have a team that covers all these different industries headed up by um, our managing director, Mindy McLaughlin, who also travels overseas to bring intelligence back, as well as back and forth to convince companies this is the place to be. But on top of that, she's got a team that's focused on aerospace, that's focused on tech and industry, that's focused on ag and healthcare. All of these industries matter here. The top three uh, industries focused here in Ohio or in our region, tech, healthcare, and manufacturing. Those are our three, that's our core. And um, now we're seeing this agriculture side of things, the ag and food production, the distribution and manufacturing as such as we look towards the future, it is growing here. It has become a becoming a major pillar as right. part of our industri- industrial makeup. So, and and that's because the the food production is changing.
0: It's changing dramatically.
1: Yes, absolutely. You, yeah. You've got to read the packages. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right.
0: So so we've talked about a lot of different things already. But what are people misunderstanding about, about what you do yeah. and what Team Neo is?
1: Yeah, well, you know what? The, that's often the first question I ask when I go out and meet with folks, Grant. What do you know about Team Neo? Do you know what we do, who we are, why we exist? And uh, I, I, I'm going to say about um, 80, 85% of the time, like, we know of Team Neo. We thought we know what you do. Um, but can you help us understand more? And when I begin to lay out the framework of how we were created back in 2003 as a result of a McKinsey study that stated there is a place for a regional economic development organization to do business retention expansion efforts across our region. What does that mean? That means folks like yourself and others who are out focusing on their local communities doing the day-to-day, Right. you've got to focus on that. That's your responsibility. You're called to serve the communities in which you are operating day to day. But who's watching on the periphery? Who's looking on the outside? Who's talking to international companies? Who's looking at all of these different intersections of economic development? Like we talked about small business startups the maturation of those businesses, who's looking at philanthropy and what's going on there, who's looking at workforce and what's going on in their ecosystem, who's looking in the government ecosystem and what's going on there. As a regional, we sit on that periphery, or kind of you can say in the center, and look at what all of these parties are doing to help us align to talk in one language in economic development so that we can continue to grow beyond that 40% of Ohio's economy. We can be the top. but. What does that also mean for our other partners? We have five other partners just like Team Neo across the state. We are the Jobs Ohio network partner. Uh, so, when we have five others just like us, we partner together to drive vibrant economies and build our state to be the great state that we want it to be. We are proud to be Ohioans. What does that mean? That means we have to know which one of those areas that we're operating in from day to day. Is it philanthropy? Is it workforce? Is it government? Is it traditional economic development at the city county levels, whatever that might be. Our job is to help to make sure we're all talking the same language or aware of the same knowledge bases and resources that are happening around us so that we can drive together. And we're we are very unique in the sense from other states, we have Jobs Ohio, who leads that right. effort in economic development as the funder of economic development. And I don't know any other state than duplicate that model. No, no, and
0: it's a central core which which you need you need something to have a central core that you can have folks again communicating, partnering, engaging and building upon. Yes, that's so right. So it does it does work and that was I think created by um uh, Governor Kasich, if That's I right. if I well, remember correctly, well,
1: uh, Senate Bill One started it, and it was uh, right before Kasich, I believe, who initiated Senate Bill One, and then Kasich carried it forward. Uh, but it, it was Senate Bill One that privatized our economic development system. It moved it from a state operating system into a private 501c4, where Jobs Ohio became the operating entity for our liquor enterprise. Right. Uh, whereas before the liquor enterprise was held under a public entity, um, Senate Bill 1 said, let's move that with its, uh, to a private uh, 501c4 with its own private board of directors that leads it under a nonprofit. It's a, it's a beautiful operating system. If you have the opportunity to tour any of uh, the liquor uh, enterprises, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, but, so how does that translate to economic development? 17% of every bottle of liquor sold in the state of Ohio funds economic development. It moves into a 501c3, and that's where all of the six partners, Jobs Ohio, leads that at the top. Team Neo is one of the six partners from Dayton Development Corp., Ready Cincinnati, Ohio Southeast, um, uh, One Columbus. Um, I'm sure I'm missing one or two or two there. Toledo Yeah to, yeah uh, there you go. Uh, we uh, are we receive funding uh, from Jobs Ohio to operate. part of our funding comes from them uh, where we operate uh, as a nonprofit and we raise the rest of the money but while we are uh, a part of the Jobs Ohio system or their network and one of their partners, we have the opportunity to leverage the grants, loans, and incentives that Jobs Ohio has. From all of those dollars, that 17% that's rolling over into fund economic development, that's what gives us our our uh, our power right. uh, to negotiate deals um, where other states don't have. Um, so in COVID, we did very well.
0: <laughs> a lot of people came home.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Yeah, a lot of lot of reshoring. Yeah. And for those of that are listening, not sure what reshoring is. That that means where. Perhaps a company that's from Ohio moved some of their manufacturing overseas somewhere. Yeah. And then they decided after all the struggles and the supply chain issues or whatever else, quality issues. Because we've had a number of companies in Brunswick reshore all their things. Absolutely. They bring it back and they manufacture it here in Northeast Ohio. Yes. And it's, it's it's that whole cycle of... How does that chain get made from the beginning of raw materials to the end that we consumers buy?
1: Yeah, that's why when you look at reshoring and when you're in a crisis situation like we were before with COVID, that you look at enterprises like Gojo, uh, uh, you're looking at the hand sanitizer opportunities. And Gojo's right here in, right. in our region. That's another major <laughs> uh, company that we have the benefit of here. So when you look at that, uh, the importance of having critical organizations like that, especially right. in times of crisis, uh, it, it's important. You know, hospitals were, I, I had companies calling me saying, where can I get gloves, you know, hospital systems, you know, uh, I had uh, minority companies that supplied um, medical supplies and I'm working at Team Neo, but I had hospital folks calling me saying, you have any minority suppliers you can connect us to during your time when you were at the Urban Link, just so we can get more gloves and masks. Right. So it's, it was a very interesting time. You know, and it showed the importance of having your supply chain here.
0: Oh, absolutely, without (laughs) without question. And and I've had this conversation with multiple levels of government. Um, I would like to meet personally because I have a manufacturing background. I would very much like to see more manufacturing focus with regards to pieces, parts, pharmaceuticals, areas that are heavily outsourced yeah. heavily. Yeah. And to be able to have that security, and I almost focus it on a national security level, to be back here in the States, because the what-ifs are too many nowadays. Well, that's the why Intel is. is
1: so important.
0: That's right, yeah. that's right. In fact, when I was in the metals industry and we were doing extrusions, um, most people don't realize that so many of the canes and the walkers and those items that you need as you age, Mm, they're not actually made here yeah. and they're not made here because there aren't any pieces parts here. Yeah. So you have, to get, you have to have presses and a certain quantity and, and it, it, it becomes a more complicated supply chain issue. It does. So those are things that you look at and you go, why aren't we doing that here?
1: That's right. We want companies to come here. And that's what you all are here. doing. Yeah. You're doing that on a daily basis. Every day. We're right. talking to companies to get them to come here, manufacture here, stay here, grow here. Uh, and the more we do of that, the more we become, you know, the place that people want to live, work, and play. That's right. Yeah.
0: So what was your favorite subject in school growing up?
1: Wow. My favorite subject. That's a really good question. You know, I'm going to say my favorite <laughs> This probably would be no surprise to the people at Team Neo, but my favorite subject was English, and English was the place where I got the opportunity to write a whole lot and be creative in my writing.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: And when I then had the opportunity to present whatever I wrote, it was an even greater treat. Which... It's probably really why I, I wasn't gonna be a doctor <laughs> it wasn't the science class it wasn't chemistry um, but it just goes to show grant you know it's important to pursue your passions
0: right well speaking of that if somebody came along here and said here Renee here's 20 million dollars yeah you could spend it on anything you want what would you spend it on
1: Oh, Grant, I dream of that question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very philanthropic heart.
0: Okay. So you're already thinking of others. Right from the get-go from oh, that question. You're thinking of others. What can I do for others?
1: I, I, I get emotional thinking about it. I... I I'm thinking of immediately I know where to go. I know what to do. What would
0: you do? What would you do if you if you really got handed that 20 million? What would you first very first thing you do with that money?
1: Yeah. First thing I would do is set up a nonprofit, a foundation of some sort. Um, and I would like to see it grow so that I can continue to do more of what I desire those funds to be directed towards. I see so much need in our communities, Grant. Mm-hmm. And um, this is really getting to the heart of who I am, aren't you? you know, you're, you're picking me apart. I feel like I'm in therapy, guys. <laughs> but um, I, I grew up in a family that... Um, very, very much tied to the heart of serving communities and ministry. My grandmother was a missionary, and she was a missionary of her own community. Uh, We would, my sister, my cousin, and I would spend weekends with my grandmother um, because our parents felt like we needed balance, and having strong relationships with both grandparents was critical. My first grandmother had already passed away of cancer, so we would spend a lot of our time with my dad's mom, who um, really lived her life as a nurse and a calling to serving the community. And uh, she had saw the devastation in the early 80s of the crack cocaine epidemic mm, in the community. Interesting. And it burdened her really bad. She saw women, she saw children, she saw babies, she saw families being torn apart, and she didn't like what it was doing, in particular to the black community. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I saw her her write a list of 15 names down on a piece of paper in a chair next to her phone, and at that time the phones were in the house, you had the landlines, and it was the dial rotary. And she wrote 15 names down, and she called those 15 names on a piece of paper and says, I'm starting a mission. I want you to come with me on this date. And she had a very unique way of connecting with people in the community. So she finds this guy who has a building on 79th and Donald off of St. Clair.
0: I'm, I'm seeing a trend here, by the way, of, <laughs> of, of connecting and engaging. And
1: yes, yes, I got it naturally. That building is no longer there, but uh, the man who was there, they would have services on Saturday, and he agreed to let her... Uh, use it on a Sunday, and she paid for it out of her own pocket. And here's the turning point of where it all began. We're spending our time with our grandmother uh, on weekends, and one Saturday, he said, just come on in. We're not in the building today. And I'm thinking, why are we going down to 79th and Donald in St. Clair? (laughs) And we're going to sit in a building? And she gets into the building and she opens up the doors, the back and the side, and we're open to the whole community and we're sitting inside here and she's on the first pew, she's on her knees praying. And I'm like, I'm looking at my sister and my cousin, I'm like, what are we doing here? This is a big empty building. Who's gonna come? Who's gonna know we're here? We don't even have a sign, right? Then all of a sudden this woman comes running up to the door, she's bloodied, she's crying, she's got a baby on her arms and kids behind her, and she needs help. And my grandmother gets up and starts to minister to her needs, and we learn about her history, her husband, and the challenges that the family had, and that lady became the first person she reached out to in the community. We began to pick up the whole family, she had like nine kids, my grandmother had uh, green Cadillac with an orange rag top (laughs) and imagine that picture.
0: I am imagining that picture, especially from a guy who who just absolutely loves cars. I, I, (laughs) I am imagining that orange top.
1: It was terrible. And we would ride every Sunday with my grandmother in that green Cadillac and that orange rag top up and down the inner city streets, picking up people for church And one day, she parks on the corner, of Ansel and near Simon, and it's a couple streets over from 79th and Donald, as we're picking up the family that had come, the initial family that had joined us. And there's this little girl standing on the corner. And she goes, I see you every Sunday. She walks up to my grandmother, and she goes, can I go to church with you? And my grandmother says, well, I don't know who you are. And she goes, well, I have to ask your mom. And she goes, I don't know where my mom is. And so she goes, well, where do you live? And she points to a house not far. And she goes and she talks to uh, the young lady's grandmother, the little girl's grandmother. And the grandmother says, her mom is the neighborhood strawberry. We haven't seen her in weeks. We don't know when she's going to get back. She... um, is a serious drug addict. The whole community knows who she is. She's on crack. Um, So my grandmother comes back to the car and says, I'm going to go find this little girl's grandmother, or this little girl's mother. And she goes, her grandmother has just told me she might be down that crack alley right there, which is between two houses, very narrow, and it's dark at this point, because it's a dark, you know, it's light out, but it's dark. And I'm thinking to myself, you're getting ready to do what? We're three little girls inside of a green Cadillac with an orange rag top. And we're in the inner city by ourselves. I'm like, Grandma, what are you getting ready to do? And she puts her Bible on the dashboard. She locks the car and says, don't move. No cell phones, right? You've got no communication. Right. We didn't even have a quarter in the car, let alone where we were going to find a payphone." We watch her disappear down the street and turn into this alley. And I'm nervous. And she comes out with this little girl's mother. She was a mess. She wasn't even coherent. I'll never forget it, Grant. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, what are we doing now? I mean, does she even have the wherewithal to say to this daughter, she can go with us? And she agrees, she gives consent. But over time, Grant, that mother would find her way to wherever we were. She would come and disrupt our services. She was drunk or high, but we ought, my grandmother always embraced her, and one day that her mom came in and said, I don't want this anymore, <clears throat> and we saw generations change because of that one outreach right there to that woman. Her mom was became clean, her kids, her grandkids, generations, and it started with My grandmother saying, I have a greater purpose than just my day-to-day. And had she not been there at that moment, it was a life-changing moment for me. It shaped everything about me, everything. Because I saw her do something that, in my right mind, (laughs) let alone my wrong mind, (laughs) I would think something was wrong with me if I had walked down a crack alley as a woman with my three grandbabies sitting in the car. So she, she was a mission in a community that when they saw her coming, they knew she wasn't the drug dealer, that she was coming to change families and change communities. And our mission grew from that. And it became a mission where we eventually, um, other folks just knew that if you wanted real help and real change, um, where you weren't going to be judged for whatever the struggle was, and and have a place of confidentiality, that our mission was that. And from that, five churches came out of our mission because there were other men and families who came in who had major addictions, who found release. And then they grew their own missions from that. And so one community changing after the other. So when I say, when you ask me about philanthropic, and being able to give back into communities, I've seen the impact of that, of taking the tiniest dollar, my grandmother, who was a nurse, (laughs) paying for a mission out of her own pocket to change multiple generations she's now passed on, but the impact that it has left and how we look at what's important, not just in our lives, but how might our lives impact the lives and others that we don't even know we're destined to do.
0: Wow. I was not expecting that whole dissertation, but what an education I just got. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Not sure if that's where you want to go with your podcast, Grant, but (laughs) we go,
0: we go wherever it leads. We really do. We ask, we ask, questions on purpose to find out what it is that drives somebody to move them forward and move them in their yeah. path. Yeah, so, totally, totally. There's so much need, so, so much need. So since you talked about writing, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would it be on?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. If I had to write a book tomorrow, mmm. You know what, I would title it Moving Beyond Yourself.
0: And what would it be about?
1: It would be about um, allowing others to, using my experience of why I make decisions that may not make sense to others, and that you can't make it about yourself. Life is about what you have to give to other people. And that's why this role is so, um, it gives me that charge grant. You know, it, it allows me to connect with people and find out where can we be the opportunity to address a challenge. And But it's about making our communities better, about making people better. And so to me, this is mission work just in another way.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned lines, like people don't know how to stand in a line anymore, (laughs) but let's say you were standing in a line and you got to talking with, with somebody you've never met before. And then you parted ways because they moved up to the counter and you got called to another side of the counter. What would you hope that person would take away from the conversation you had with that person?
1: Mm. Um... That is such a really good question. He said he was going to throw some curveballs at me, and you're making me think. I feel like I'm in therapy. I really do. (laughs) Uh, I I would probably... I would want them to take away... There's one word that sticks out to me. Hope.
0: Hope. Hope.
1: I, I would want them to take away the word hope, the feeling of it, that whatever state or place or circumstance or um, even our country, you know, whatever it is, hope. Be hopeful. Don't give up so easily on anything.
0: That'd be quite a conversation over that short period of time.
1: Sometimes it just takes a few words to impact people in a big way, Grant.
0: <laughs> that, is a, that is very, very true and very profound. So we get to a point here in the podcast where we start asking really, really deep questions.
1: Oh, we haven't done that yet? We
0: haven't done that yet.
1: Holy cow. We
0: we need to find (laughs) out, for example, what's your favorite ice cream?
1: Oh, vanilla by far, and uh, the, my brand is Haagen-Dazs.
0: And what do you do? Do you put sprinkles and chocolate on it, or is it just plain vanilla? Just
1: plain vanilla, and oh, I like it to gosh. melt just a little bit, just a little, so I can get the full flavor. <laughs> I don't want it to be too cold. My tongue might freeze.
0: <laughs> wow. We are, we are, you are on the right path with that. <laughs> my kids make fun of me, and my wife, because because. When we go out for ice cream, and we love going to places for ice cream, yeah. What are you going to get? I, I'm going to get vanilla. And they look at me and they go, "Well, don't you want some uh, vanilla?"
1: Yes, that's what I
0: just need plain vanilla. And what about coffee? Are you a coffee drinker?
1: Oh, I'm a coffee snob. And
0: and so, what is your favorite coffee drink?
1: So, my favorite coffee drink is the one I make. <laughs> <laughs> I have a brand that I use that I love, and I, I, I buy a whole bean, and okay. we, we grind it. And, and then you grind it, and, yeah. and
0: is it a drip? Do you do the drip?
1: We do the drip, Yeah. yes. And I always have to have four shots of sugar-free caramel syrup. <laughs> I have one tablespoon of uh, sugar-free caramel creamer. And I have four tablespoons of almond milk that have, that is unsweetened but must be vanilla.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> My husband says I don't drink coffee. He, he says you drink milk. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, no, I drink coffee. I'm just, I like it a certain way. Sure. So sure. And I have to have four low-cal sweeteners, so I'm... I'm <laughs>
0: Do you need to do this every morning and every, afternoon? And
1: I, I do it once, every, sometimes twice in the morning. It depends on how early I'm up. But okay. um, I, I, I try to grab the biggest cup I can find. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's usually the first stop in the morning. And if I have to have it throughout the day... You know, I I look for good specialty shops along the way. Um, Thanks to you, I met one down the road here.
0: Yes, uh, our our coffee shop, Human Bean. But we also have another new coffee shop in town. Oh, right, called The Grounded Bean. Oh. So we I've... have Human Bean and Grounded Bean now. Oh. Grounded Bean is just north on Pearl Road I'm here. I'm going to
1: have to try that.
0: And it, it's a it's a mom and daughter duo that I own the it. business. I love it. And they've remodeled on the inside and brought the, the business, then the building that was... Uh, in kind of rough shape, back up to uh, up to living again, if you will. Because yeah. in the building world, uh, buildings breathe and think, and you have to you have to make sure that you caress them to make sure that you get the most out of it. So it is now a gathering place in town.
1: I love that. Love yeah. that. And, and in fact, when I'm out and about traveling in our 18 counties, I try to find kind of the cool community coffee shops that I can hang out in. Uh, and just get a little work done, but it, absolutely, I'm I'm all about specialty and you know homegrown community, uh, just supporting our businesses. You know, Excellent. chains are great, but you know, look, I understand the importance of small business. That's right. Right. I understand the importance of supporting our small businesses. So That's right.
0: And it is a cycle because it is a, you know, we talk about this in economic world and, and uh, from my classes in economics at, at university, we talk about the multiplier effect. You take that $1 and you multiply it so it grows yeah. organically within a region and then you can spread it out and do even more That's good. That's right. That's so, right. But if you don't start organically and have that... Think about it, the pebble in the river. If you don't start with that one spot and grow it here and then let it spread, it's not going to grow.
1: That's exactly right. That's yeah. why you have to support.
0: That's right. That's right. So if you had one goal for yourself, personally or professionally, what would that be?
1: Hmm.
0: Just one. Can't name
1: five. <laughs> only name one. <sighs> That's a really uh, powerful question for me. Um my goal is, and and I know I'm going to do that, and I am doing it now. Is to achieve excellence in nonprofit service.
0: That's very good. That's very given.
1: Best donut. Best donut. Best donut. Oh, oh, that's a really good question because I'm not a donut eater.
0: You're not. No. Well, you haven't had our Donutland donuts then.
1: No, <laughs> but I'm gonna say, look, if I had to choose, yeah, um, I am. I love. So yes, I take that back. This is why I don't eat donuts because if I did, I would eat too many of <laughs> these. <laughs> it's the it's the chocolate covered Bavarian cream. So sure. Um, yes. That's oh, absolutely. My favorite donut. Oh, we have those. Yeah, we, we don't. We we're, we're not going there. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what about? Do you eat pizza? I do. Yeah, and any particular type of pizza you like. I love Because, you know, these things actually tell a lot about people. I mean, you start talking about coffee and look at how, I mean, that was quite a detailed explanation of, of coffee and what I'm it takes like... to get you going in the morning, Renee. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it better be right, Grant. There's been a few times I've missed the shots and I'm like, can't believe it, you did that. It's the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But a pizza, I would say a veggie pizza is my favorite. Veggie pizza. I love veggie pizza. Okay. Love it. Love it.
0: And a, and a particular pizza place you really love? And it doesn't necessarily have to be here in Brunswick. It can be anywhere.
1: Yeah, so you know what? Um, I fell in love with Donato's veggie pizza. Okay. Um, it is just so delish. And it's, it's not full of dough. It's just give me the good old vegetable right on top. And you know, you've got a little bit of the olives on it. Yeah, and the seasonings are great. So yeah, they're my favorite. My husband is not a veggie. Pizza eater, so he likes
0: the meat pizzas. He's
1: a meat guy, and I'm going to tell you clearly. I haven't had a veggie pizza in a long time <laughs> after I married him. You know, so we're not going to buy two separate pizzas.
0: <laughs> well, you could get one big pizza and have half this and half that.
1: Yeah, he'll complain. He's like, all of this is mine. You get like one or two slices. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm a big veggie pizza. I even make veggie pizzas. I love. Um, I've got a great cauliflower. Um, crust veggie pizza recipe that I use. I make the cauliflower crust. But that's, but that's
0: what uh, cholesterol medicine is for, Lipitor and stuff. So you can just go to the go to them and get them.
1: I'm, I'm trying to avoid that, Grant. I'm, I'm trying to have a long life of nonprofit excellence. <laughs>
0: So, so given all the discussions we've had today, and thank you, it's been it's been wide ranging and very insightful. Oh. And uh, no, this is not therapy, but oh it certainly God. is cathartic in many ways.
1: Oh my gosh! So,
0: what is it that you'd like to leave us with today?
1: Well, uh, you know, I don't know who the listeners will be, Grant, but and how much of it they will hear. Um, but I think that. It's important for people to know that there are really good people out here doing really good work and they really do care about our our state our country our communities and there is hope and if we really really just bond together and not be so cynical all the time we're gonna get there
0: very good and we'll end on that This has been a moment in time for a cup and a conversation.
1: Until next time, enjoy.